Hey, today we're talking about fraud and how to protect your small business. Stay tuned. You're listening to Financial Sense, Arizona's financial podcast that gives you insights that you can only get from a friend in the business. Recorded and brought to you by National Bank of Arizona, the only bank you need. Hello, I'm your host, Brent Cannon. I'm Executive Vice President and Director of the Community Bank here at National Bank of Arizona. Today, we're talking fraud and how to protect your small business from online schemes. Today, we have Catherine Cobb, Senior Vice President of our Cybersecurity Operations Center here at Zions. Catherine, welcome. Thank you for having me. Let's start by sharing a little bit about your background with the audience. Sure. I've been with Zions for seven years. I manage our defensive team within our Cybersecurity Operations Center. Before that, I managed our Enterprise Fraud Department. I am a certified fraud examiner and a certified treasury professional. Catherine, we're so excited to have you today. Uh, you know, this is such a relevant topic for all businesses, but small businesses also really struggle with, with how to manage this risk given their level of resources and how much they have to really invest and how what they should be thinking about. And and it is kind of a new phenomenon for uh, for a lot of these small businesses to to really deal with. Let's start by giving the listeners an idea of how prevalent online fraud is and how much it affects the uh, these small businesses and the and the general economy. Absolutely. So uh, I like to look at a couple of different numbers. And so the Association for Financial Professionals puts out a report every year called the Payments Fraud and Control Survey. And so the 2023 report stated that 65% of organizations were victims of either attempted or actual fraud in 2022. And then the FBI has their IC3, which stands for Internet Crime and Complaint Center. They received 2,385 complaints identified as ransomware um, with adjusted losses of more than $34.3 million. They also received 21,832 business email compromise complaints with adjusted losses over $2.7 billion. Wow. Um, and then I looked at a report uh, from LexisNexis, and they said that for every dollar of fraud, it now costs U.S. retail and e-commerce merchants $3.75, which is 19.8% higher than the pre-COVID study in 2019. The thing about these stats that I love to stress, though, is even though these numbers seem high, this is really just a small percentage because it's only what's reported. Wow, that, those are some incredible statistics and, and really begins to kind of lay the groundwork for how big a problem this is. And it's, you know, it's not going to get smaller. I mean, we are not moving, you know, we continue to move to a more digital environment. And, and so, you know, this problem is it somehow we have to manage it. Yeah. Yes. And unfortunately, it's not a, a matter of if it's going to happen, right. more of a matter of when. So hopefully I can give uh, our small business customers ways to help prevent and protect themselves. So when when we're talking about fraud, let's kind of get into some details here. What kind of fraud and scams are we talking about? Are you seeing, do you see in your, in your, uh, in, in your job, your career? But let's give a little more detail. Sure. Uh, so I would say that business email compromise, which is also referred to as BEC, is probably one of the number one things that are facing our businesses today. 
is very classic where the business's vendor is typically sending invoices for them to pay. At some point, the fraudster pretends to be the vendor. Mm. So either they have taken over their email, they're spoofing their email, which means it looks similar, but it's not the real one. And they send updated payment instructions. You know, hey, we've changed banks and our new routing number and account number is this. Please remit all of your payments to this new, uh, to these new banking instructions. And, and that is what we see fairly often. Another common one is where uh, the fraudster will pose as the CEO or CFO and be emailing somebody within the company, going into a meeting, I need you to send out this wire, I can't chat right now, but it's really important that you do this, etc. cetera. Uh, so those are like two common ways that we see this uh, scam be perpetrated. I would say another is check fraud. Uh, people think that checks are going away and we are seeing the number of checks issued decline, but unfortunately we continue to see check fraud rise and it's actually the number one form of payments fraud. Mm. And then uh, cyber fraud. Uh, I think everyone has heard of phishing with a PH. Basically you get an email, it could have a link or an attachment and they're usually trying to harvest credentials or send you to a site, um, trying to get some kind of action from you there. Then there's something called spear phishing, which is more of a targeted attack. So they know that you specifically use Verizon or you specifically um, bank someplace. And so they're going to make a more crafted, more um, targeted email. There's whaling, which, I did not make up these terms. <laughs> and that's where they're targeting uh, high uh, level executives, your CEOs, CFOs, people in the C-suite. Smishing is basically phishing via SMS text. Oh. And then vishing uh, is uh, voice. So you're getting that call. And then there's also malware, which stands for malicious software. That's going to be your viruses, worms, trojans, etc. And then ransomware is a subset of malware, but that is a huge risk to companies and something that we're seeing on the rise. And then lastly, I think businesses need to be aware of insider fraud. Uh, as much as we want to trust all the people that work for us as small business owners, it's important that we put those protections in place and uh, have those segregation of duties, et cetera. Yeah, those internal controls are just critical as it relates to uh, fraud uh, and also as it relates to accounting. It's just a good practice. And I think to your point, too many businesses, especially this on the smaller scale, really, you know, I trust so-and-so because so-and-so has been with me for 20 years. Well, that's fine, but so you know that that key employee might also be going through something that you're completely unaware of, and may just make them you know open to uh, to doing some things things that they they normally wouldn't do. So I, I totally agree. The internal controls, segregation of duties are critical. You know, one other comment I would make, and this is a question I'd like you to 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 kind of respond to, or a statement. Uh, a lot of these schemes seem to. Uh, ask for an action driven by some change, an address or a signer or an amount or mailing address. I mean, is that is that a fair statement? 
yes and no. I, I would say most common is they're just trying to play on your emotions. So in addition to things being a change, you're also, they're also trying to create some kind of sense of urgency in a lot of cases. This is really important. It has to get done right now. Right. The kind of the age old con artist, it's just now if the con artist is virtual and, and not in person. Right. So Catherine, you mentioned be, uh, business email compromise, which really seems like a big risk in, in the landscape here of, of, of cyber uh, security, et cetera. Um, how does a small business protect itself from that specific risk? I am glad you asked that because this is something that I see on a daily basis. Uh, unfortunately, I'm constantly seeing our small business customers falling victim to this. And as a bank, we can do everything in our power to help our customers, we've got fraud analytics models, we've got um, callbacks in place. And so the biggest thing I would say is for my small business customers to actually do a callback themselves, meaning your vendor sends you an email with updated payment instructions, pick up the phone, call the number you have on file and verify that that change was made. Um, and the number on file is the key here because you don't want to use the number in the bottom of the email because the fraudster will update that to their phone number. And of course, they're going to say, yes, this change is, uh, is correct. But it's getting even more difficult to catch these kind of schemes because with chat GPT and artificial intelligence, it makes it easier for the fraudsters to make these emails look and sound like the people that you normally do business with. And so uh, a lot of times we see where a fraudster will hack into an email and insert themselves into an ongoing conversation. So at some point you were speaking with a legitimate person and then it switches to the fraudster and you have no idea. You have no indication that anything has changed. So again, I would say the biggest thing is to do that callback and also implementing dual control is mm -hmm. a great thing too. Um, so that way, one person can't just send the wire. You have to have that second person who can then say, hey, how'd you get this? Uh, these wire instructions and things like that? I think that's really good. Boy, I, this, this truly is scary stuff. Uh, we have, you know, for many of us who worked in the pre-email uh, generation and, and now have, you know, we're, we're well, uh, well evolved into the email generation. Now we're being told, Oh, by the way, you can't trust email and you really can't trust email. No, you can't. It is not a secure method of communication. Uh, so, you know, people say trust, but verify. Right. I say don't trust anyone and verify. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. Don't trust anyone. Verify. Uh, yeah, that's yep. great. <laughs> so, Catherine, why are they going after these business owners and in many cases, smaller business owners? Well, one, that's where the money is. Um, I would say a business has more than an individual, typically. Uh, also, specifically with small businesses, they don't always have all of the controls in place that our larger corporation does. And so they're, uh, you know, you might have an office manager that's, that gets emails directly from the president or CEO or owner saying, hey, can you do this for me? And so that's not out of the ordinary. Uh, for here at the bank, if the CEO were to 
uh, email me and ask me to send a wire, that would be very weird because one, he doesn't email me and two, I don't send wires. <laughs> so, you know, so it, there's that part of it too. And uh, a lot of times people are just not aware and they're very trusting. And I love that people are trusting, but unfortunately in this day and age, you have to be on alert when it comes to money movement and some of these things. Catherine, you mentioned uh, all of these risks from business email compromise to check fraud, cybersecurity, insider potential risk. What are some of the things that businesses can really do to protect themselves from these this myriad of risks out there in this new landscape? Absolutely. Um, so we've already touched on business email compromise again, doing that callback. Right. When it comes to checks, uh, it sounds silly to have to say this, but I've had too many customers uh, who are trusting, but never sign checks in advance. If you're leaving, don't leave and you know sign checks with your office manager. Uh, reconciling accounts regularly, checking on online banking. Uh, but one of the best ways to protect against check fraud is what's called positive pay. Mm. This is where the customer sends an issued file, a check issued file to the bank, and it basically tells us the date, the check number, and the amount. And then there's something called payee match, which is what I really recommend, where you also tell us the payee. And then that way, anytime a check comes to clear the account, we're going to match that information up. And if it matches, we'll pay the check. And if it doesn't, we'll send the customer an exception file and you go in and you say, oh yeah, oops, I did. I did write that check, I forgot to put it in. Or at that point you can reject it and, and let us know. Um, with things like uh, counterfeit or washing, changed endorse endorsement, et cetera, a lot of times we issue a check but the fraudster can go in and wash it, meaning they take off the payee or the amount. So you wrote it to Brent, but now that check is clearing to Michael. Uh, you wrote it for $50, but now it's clearing for 500. Without something like positive pay, we have no way of knowing what's legitimate and what's not. And the days of sight paying checks are over. We don't have anybody at the bank looking at each individual right. check. And something like positive pay helps put that protection in place. And so that is the number one thing I would recommend for a small business when it comes to check fraud. Yeah, great advice. Uh, as far as cyber goes, um, obviously never click on links or open attachments from an unknown sender, but even if it's a known sender, if it's out of the ordinary and you weren't expecting it, just because it's coming from somebody you know, doesn't mean that they haven't been hacked. And so having that watchful eye and saying, was I expecting this? Is this normal? And again, pick up the phone if you're not sure, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, one thing that I really recommend that not a lot of small businesses do is what's called a phishing test. Hmm. We do that here at the bank. We test our employees on a regular basis. I know they all love it, <laughs> but I highly recommend our small businesses do this as well. Uh, the weakest link is your employees. Hmm. So you can uh, use third-party software to create phishing emails. And if your employee clicks on it, they get a lovely pop-up that says you failed and now you get more fraud training. So uh, I highly recommend that. Catherine, I've heard a lot in the news, companies being held ransom in these ransomware attacks. Can you talk a little more about that? 
What I recommend is that you start these conversations now. Have a business response plan. Mm. When you're in the middle of a ransomware attack, that is not the time to get the appropriate parties together and say, are we going to pay it? Are we not going to pay it? Do we have backups that are encrypted and uh, tamper proof, et cetera? You know, go through all these scenarios now. In the middle of a ransomware attack, they typically only give you a short amount of time and then the ransom either goes up or they start releasing bits of information uh, to show that they're serious. Mm-hmm. And then the final one, insider uh, fraud. So for insider fraud, some of this, these things sound very obvious, but it's really important to have that segregation of duties. Make sure that limits are appropriate. If somebody is never going to send more than $10,000 in wires, lower their limit to 10 or 12. They don't need a $100,000 limit or an unlimited. And unfortunately, we see a lot of businesses that aren't putting limits in there. So think about what's appropriate. You can always change them if you have some kind of anomaly. Uh, Dual control so that nobody can do anything without a second reviewer and approver. Notify the bank if your employees leave. I recommend surprise audits, uh, assignment rotation, and mandatory vacations. So if somebody's doing something that requires a lot of effort to conceal, making them take a whole five days at a time usually can uncover some of those schemes or if you're having people rotate in their assignments, et cetera. Yeah, those are some really, really great tactics uh, to help businesses manage all of these different fraud and uh, potential loss areas. So excellent, excellent, uh, excellent points. Thanks, Catherine. So uh, Catherine, you mentioned uh, one product that we offer, Positive Pay, which matches the check payee amount, et cetera, from a file. And, and we catch it, hopefully, if there's any fraud prior to the check being settled. And that's that's the whole point here. Uh, how would a customer go about doing that? So it's our treasury management department that helps with that. And so if you reach out to your account officer or you already have a treasury management officer, they can help get that set up. Another great product is actually ACH positive pay. And so that's where if you have ACH debits that are unauthorized, we can stop those as well works very similarly. You tell us here are the companies and their IDs that are authorized to debit our account. You can have amounts in there. You can uh, put in an expiration date, et cetera. And so that helps protect you against people debiting your account as well. Yeah. it. We have a product suite called Treasury Management Select, has all of these uh, positive pay and, and different products that are perfect for smaller businesses. And then your, our Treasury Management team can go have much larger uh, applications for uh, for the larger volume businesses. So, But also having a relationship with a Treasury Management Officer, which your banker can help facilitate right. that. They do annual reviews and look at your activity and ask you questions. They truly want to understand your business and what they can do to partner with you to help you run it more efficiently and protect it against fraud. And there's a plethora of services out there for our small business customers. So highly recommend you know forming those relationships. What I'm hearing is the importance of uh, a small business owner going in, talking to their banker, making sure the banker can either talk to them about 
the treasury management offerings or orchestrate a, uh, a meeting with their treasury management officer so that they understand the full tool set or toolbox that the banks offer to help that customer manage these fraud uh, risks. Is that sound about right? Yep, absolutely. So if a small business or business should fall victim to one of these schemes, what are some things they should think about how to handle it? What are some, some maybe some resources that are out there that can help them through this? Absolutely. Uh, one of the first things is call your bank. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the faster that we know about fraud, the more likely it is that we'll be able to get the money back. Not guaranteed, but speed is everything in the fraud game. Uh, depending on the type of fraud, you might be asked to file an uh, FBI report. Uh, again, the IC3 is for internet crimes. It right. stands for Internet Crime Complaint Center. And you might need to file a police report. Especially when we're dealing with wire fraud, we're having to send some of that information to the other bank, especially if it's in another country. So doing those things right away really helps us get that information and hopefully get your money back. There are some really great websites to get more information and resources. The NBAZ website actually has a, a fraud prevention website that talks in depth about some of the services we've talked today. And the Federal Trade Commission has a reportfraud.ftc.gov, identitytheft.gov. Um, there's the businessidtheft.org. And um, the last thing is, even though you're a small business owner, you're an individual, so you can go out to annualcreditreport.com and pull your credit report annually for free from each of the three credit bureaus. So highly recommend that as well. Yeah, those are some great resources and great tips. Catherine, I just want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, a wealth of information. I think business owners are going to truly benefit from, uh, from hearing your perspective a big thank you from uh, all of us in Arizona. Well, thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. That'll do it for this episode of Financial Sense. Don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform and YouTube. See you next time. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research, recommendations, representations, or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements of any information contained in this podcast and any liability from Zion's Bank Corporation N.A. or its divisions, including direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast may not be those of Zions Bank Corporation N.A. or any of its divisions. Zions Bank Corporation N.A. is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of advice, investment, or otherwise by Zions Bank Corporation N.A. to that listener, nor to constitute such a person a client of Zions Bank Corporation N.A. See your banker for treasury management product details and schedule of fees. Certain treasury management services may require credit approval. Contract may also apply. Must be enrolled in positive pay. Terms, conditions, and fees apply. Mobile positive pay require download from Apple or Google Play app stores. Message and data rates from your wireless provider may apply. Contact a banker for details. Copyright reserved by Zions Bank Corporation N.A. National Bank of Arizona is a division of Zions Bank Corporation N.A. Member FDIC. 